So this week we'll talk about the interview process, getting hired as a data scientist and not only data scientist. And we have a special guest today, Alec. Alec worked as a data science worked as a data science manager at Uber, where he built data science teams. He also has experience building several startups in Europe. And recently he created uh, Next Round, which is a company, a free service for practicing interviews and receiving personalized feedback and learning materials. Welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So before we go into our main topic of recruitment and interviews, let's start with your background. Can you tell us a bit about your career journey so far? Uh, so I started as a software engineer. I was, um, I was building websites for a few years. And then at some point I heard about the Netflix prize. It was uh, one of the first open data science competitions uh, a few years before Kaggle, I believe. Uh, and I got so engaged in, uh, in this topic of personalization that I ended up writing a PhD thesis about recommender agents. And then I transitioned from an engineer to an analyst in a startup. Uh, eventually, I became uh, a manager. And I led a team of data scientists and engineers working on recommender engine, product analytics, and building the data infrastructure in that company. And after that, uh, I wanted to apply for another data science job uh, in a startup called List. And I thought, I'm probably not the most experienced data scientist applying for the job. Uh, I also needed a visa. And I, I just began brainstorming. How do I make myself stand out so they uh, don't reject me right away and I, I don't even get to to talk to, to anyone from the company. And I try to reverse engineer the, the process and think about it. When someone applies for a job in my team, uh, what do I do? What do I look at in, in CVs? Uh, what are the signals that I'm trying to, uh, to get? And you know, usually when you, when you look at someone's CV and it says, I don't know, uh, experience in Python, it doesn't really tell you much because it's, it's very subjective. Maybe maybe the person read a, a blog post about this or invented the language, you never know. So I thought, okay, I need to stand out from the other candidates. And I also need to somehow demonstrate that these buzzwords in my CV, machine learning, big data, Python, um, is, is actually something that I'm familiar with. And this was an e-commerce website and they were hiring for a data scientist to improve their recommender agent. And I thought, uh, okay, uh, I need to make something differently. So instead of sending a CV, I wrote a blog post about how I would improve the recommender engine if I worked there. But since I did not work there, I didn't have any data. Uh, so I had to be creative. And I found, I basically took a list of brands that they were selling on, on this website uh, and wrote a very simple Python script that gets a list of their followers uh, from Twitter. Uh, and then I implement the very simple uh, recommender algorithm in Python that basically lets you type your Twitter nickname and then you will get recommendations based on who you follow and the model that has been trained on these designers that are being sold by this website. Um, so I wrote this blog post, sent it to them. Uh, and what I had in mind was, okay, I want to show that I understand the very basics of machine learning. I can program a little bit. Um, essentially to, 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 to demonstrate this, you know, the, the very first chapter of any machine learning book. I signed to them, surprisingly it worked out and I got the job. Um, was it a public post? Did you just publish it on, I don't know, Towards Data Science or you sent a document to them? So I, I put it on, media, on Medium, but I put <laughs> it down afterwards because uh, I didn't know how much of it uh, can be public. Mm -hmm. okay. um, even though I, I used only uh, the data accessible everywhere, but you know, I tried to do a little bit of reverse engineering, like what kind of data is being sent from the website, what, what kind of APIs, APIs they're using and so on. So I, I put it down at some point. There is, there's actually an article about this uh, from, the other, from the other side by a recruiter that hired me and explained the, the, this uh, hiring experience from, from there. That <laughs> uh, was very interesting to read. Um, but this is how I got that job. Um, there I focused on deployment of machine learning models, personalization ranking, uh, and a little bit of data engineering, again, scaling the, the data infrastructure. After it, I joined Uber uh, in Amsterdam as a product data scientist. 
in a couple of years, I became a manager again and uh, led a team of data scientists that worked on forecasting models. And the goal was to predict the lifetime value of, of a user and quantify the impact of different events uh, on, on user behavior. And um, I left Uber last year. And every time I applied for a job in data science, there was one thing that I really hated. Uh, when you get rejected and when you read this rejection email and it tells you nothing. Uh, so you spend hours interviewing you, you spend hours working on some take home assignment and then you get some generic standard rejection email. Uh, maybe, maybe you even get some feedback, but usually it's completely useless and not actionable. You can't do anything out of it. So I began to think, okay, what can be better? How can I make this better? Uh, and I ended up building this free service where you can practice data science interviews with a chatbot. And then you will receive uh, detailed personalized feedback based on your answers with some links to relevant materials to the topics where you can improve. So this is uh, what I've been working on in the past few months. You can, you can check this out. I have mock interviews for, for data scientists and product analysts. Uh, so far it has been on this, on this website, uh, there have been uh, 500, a little over 500 mock interviews so far. Uh, and this is a super interesting experience just to, to analyze and calibrate the questions because there is never, there is never a correct answer. Uh, like there's never a finite number of uh, correct answers. If you ask some case study questions about how would you like build this kind of model. Uh, so I keep getting, I keep getting surprised in, in a positive way uh, every day because uh, you never know what to expect, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. So these uh, rejections that you, uh, that you got, uh, do you have any idea why they're generic? I think I have some ideas uh, also working as a hiring manager, like also being a hiring manager sometimes. Um, but do you have some ideas why uh, why these rejection letters are generic? Why can, can companies uh, give feedback? Well, there can be many reasons, right? So, uh, well, first of all, uh, I don't know, can we call it laziness? But mm -hmm. let's say to hire one person, you need to interview 20. And, and this is realistic. This can be higher, this can be lower. Uh, to provide detailed, actionable feedback to, to everyone uh, will take some time. And then this is really up to you whether you think it is worth it or not. Uh, I think it is worth it because who knows, maybe these people will join your company again. Like it's always, it's, it's a closed loop. There are not so many, so many data scientists uh, in the world or in, in a given city. Um, another reason, apart from spending time on it, another reason can be uh, just being polite. And because you never know when you, when you provide, when you try to provide some constructive actionable feedback to a person you don't know how they will react to this. Mm -hmm. uh, so you try to be polite and it, it, it brings you to, um, to some very standard and generic feedback that, mm -hmm. that doesn't really pinpoint you into any yes. certain weaknesses. I think there might be some legal reasons mm -hmm. uh, about this as well. What was your experience? What, what, what are your ideas? Yeah, so basically what you said, except I didn't think about being uh, polite um, because uh, I think actually candidates are looking forward to receiving feedback. So I didn't think about this angle. Uh, maybe I should have. But yeah, I think uh, uh, this is the, the, like the, the first one is uh, time and then the second is uh, legal reasons. So you don't always, uh, cannot always give feedback because of some legal stuff. Okay, and then you decide, okay, like I hate not receiving feedback. Let's create uh, a, a company, a, a website where people can just practice and then receive feedback at the end, right? Yeah, so, so basically what I wanted to do, I, I began thinking with my experience uh, as a candidate, as a hiring manager, uh, what value can I offer, right? And then essentially what I did, I wrote down a list of situations that kept happening uh, 
from company to company, from team to team. Um, for example, and, and this was completely different stories. Like, for example, as a, as a data scientist or especially as an analyst, you're always balancing between working on some important model and um, stakeholders asking you to work on some urgent fixes or urgent ad hoc analysis. Or you're running an A-B test and then you see that some of the metrics improved and some of the metrics actually got worse. What do you do? So I started just writing down a list of uh, situations that happened in my life that required some, some thinking uh, and that were generic enough uh, to, to apply to, to any company. And then from this situation, from this case studies, I created an interview plot that basically introduces you into some context. You are working in this kind of company and then your goal is to do this and that. Uh, a stakeholder comes to you and asks you to, to work on this. What do you do? Uh, depending on your answer, it will ask you different follow-up questions, uh, maybe switch a topic, or maybe go in depth to, to get more technical. Uh, and I reached out to about 30 data science hiring managers to, to get their feedback on this interview questions that I prepare uh, so that it's not completely biased by my, by my personal experience uh, in these uh, companies that I worked at. I got a lot of very interesting feedback from them. Uh, and then I just uh, published this website. And uh, so far, so good. <laughs> Everyone likes it. You said uh, you had 500 mock interviews, but yeah. the title for this uh, event today is uh, what I learned after interviewing 300 data scientists. So <laughs> we updated to 500? Time flies. Well, these are mock interviews. These are not interviews uh, that I had at Uber. Those are practices. Practice interviews. Okay. Uh, but then it's the same thing. Okay. So speaking of uh, interviews, so um, I imagine you did uh, quite a few interviews, at least 300. So how does a typical interview process process look like? And what are the steps in this process? So there is no standard here, right? It really depends on the company, on, on, on the size of the company. Uh, but usually after you send your CD, uh, a recruiter checks if your CV, if, if your CV, if your experience matches the, the job description, then they might have a call with you and ask a few things about your uh, experience that were not clear from, from your CV, just again, to, to make sure that your experience is relevant to certain role in the company. They, the recruiter might also ask you a few questions about the seller expectations and your availability uh, for the new job. After that, uh, if your experience seems relevant to this job, uh, some companies will send you a take-home assignment, expecting you to spend a few hours on that. Um, and after that, there will be several rounds of interviews. Uh, one of them uh, will be with the hiring manager. Um, most of the time, uh, you get to speak with the, with the actual manager. And after the interviews, uh, there will be a debrief when the hiring manager and everyone who interviewed you will, will discuss uh, will discuss your experience and make the final decision. And you will either get a job offer or receive this uh, generic rejection email usually. <laughs> and uh, in this, so you mentioned, okay, so the screen by the recruiter, home assignment, and then bunch of in technical interviews uh, with the hiring manager. So what kind of technical interviews are there? So, so I imagine for data scientists, uh, so they, they should be uh, developers. I mean, they should be able to code. So I guess one of these checks coding, right? So well, what else do you Well, again, it, it really depends on the role, okay. right? Um, and I even try to visualize different types of uh, job profiles. Okay. Um, and what, what I did, I did an exercise when I just took some random 50 data science jobs and I found a lot of data science jobs that had literally nothing in common, <laughs> right? It's, uh, it, it's so generic uh, and data science is, a, is just an umbrella term that includes machine learning engineers and product data scientists. And on one side, there's an expectation that you will code a lot, that um, you will be building and deploying machine learning models that work in production. On the other side, the expectation is that you'll be running A-B tests and writing a lot of SQL and 
being more for a PM that is uh, very confident when it comes to working with data. Mm -hmm. So the technical interviews will depend on the role. Uh, on the high level, wh whichever company you interview, probably at some point they will ask you about your previous experience. Uh, it might be a question uh, like, tell us about some machine learning model that you built in the past and that you're proud of. And at some point, most likely you will be asked about some hypothetical case study. Uh, and very often, this is just some very vague and generic question, like how would you predict user return? Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, you mentioned product data scientist. This is somebody who is more like analytical and machine learning engineer is an engineer, right? And then there's a whole spectrum of things and you need to look at the actual job description to figure out what exactly to, uh, to expect during the, the process, right? I think that's that's the main advice in general. Like we, we, we can stop this, this podcast right here. <laughs> but the, the main advice is study the job description, study not even the job description, learn as much as you can about the role uh, and try to match your experience with, with the role, right? Uh, and to explain this, say you, you have two years of experience for one year, you worked as an accountant. For, for, for the second year, you worked as a machine learning engineer. You're, you're applying for, for a machine learning engineer role. Will you dedicate as much time to your accounting experience as to the machine learning engineer role? No, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have to put, I don't know, a year of your work experience or 10 years of your uh, work experience on, on a piece of paper, you need to make sure it is as relevant as possible to the role you're applying for. And at the end, this is all about the, the signal and the noise. You want to emphasize the things that are the most relevant uh, to the job and just remove all the noise about your jobs that, that you had after, after college 10 years ago that are not relevant. So I guess this brings us to the, to the question about CVs. So, and this is the very first uh, uh, step in uh, in the job process, right? So a recruiter or a hiring manager, somebody looks at your CV, uh, which is a piece of paper, one or two or three pages, right? And they figure out if this candidate should uh, go through the process or they reject uh, them right away, right? So how do we make sure that we can pass this CV screen uh, phase? So you mentioned that uh, you need to make CV as relevant as possible to the job. And I guess uh, for that, you need to uh, really read the job description and see how your experience matches. Uh, what else can you do there? Like, how can you make your CV stand out? So I would think of CV as your landing page, right? Um, and the think about some website you, you you see an ad on the internet you click on the link you end up on some website that you have never seen before in two seconds you will decide to close to close it or not or this is something relevant and you will keep looking at it and the way websites are designed and implemented has changed a lot in the past 20 years right if you if you compare like internet 20 years ago just just mm -hmm. text to what it is now there is a lot of change because there have been a lot of experimentation. There have been a lot of uh, improvements. So think about CVs in the same way. The recruiter that is looking at your CV, so what, what, what is their goal of the recruiter that will, will look your CV when, uh, when you apply for a job? The goal is to quickly estimate uh, how valuable you will be in the company if you join. And even more specific, their goal is to estimate what will happen if they set up an interview between you and the hiring manager, how likely the hiring manager is to, uh, to offer you a job or reject you, right? Because if every candidate, the, the goal of a resume or a CV for you is to get to an interview. It's not even to get the job, it's just to, to make sure that the interviews will happen and you will get to talk to someone, someone technical. So, when the recruiter looks at your CV, they might even not be familiar with the, with the technical side of it. So what they have is the job description. They spoke with the hiring manager about the skills required, the skills required for the role. 
they have it on one hand and they have yours on the other side. And then you can think of it of, of a, as a, of a very simple classification model that just looks for, for keywords, that just does the, the string search. Uh, the job description says, no, I don't know, TensorFlow. Do you have this word TensorFlow in your CV? The job description says, I don't know, be proactive. Are you proactive? <laughs> so really try to do this, uh, this matching in your mind, understand what, what the role requires. Unfortunately, job descriptions are also very generic most of the time. But try to do this, try to apply the, the job description to your, to your past experience and personalize SED for, uh, for every role you're applying because this is your goal to, to pass this screen. And then you will, you will be able to, to chat about your, your past experience uh, and demonstrate your, your technical skills. Recruiters are always on your side. When, when they look at, at, at your CV, when, when they have a call with you, recruiters are on your side because their goal is to fill the role, to place someone in the role. So it's in their interest for you to get this job. So you can, if, if you're having a call with a recruiter, ask them about the expectations, ask them about the process, they would be very happy to, to help you. Uh, but on the other side, Again, if you think about uh, this very first step, recruiters, uh, CV screening by recruiter, if you think about it as a, as a classifier, uh, there is a very high penalty for false positive, for false positives, if the company hires the person that uh, is not relevant for a job. Maybe they're trying something else, but not for this certain role. This is a big problem for both, right? Uh, getting a job is, is a big commitment. So, there is a very big penalty for this kind of uh, error. But at the same time, there is zero penalty for not hiring a good person, uh, a good candidate, because no one will even know if they were good or not. Mm -hmm. So this classifier tends to create a lot of uh, false, false negative errors and essentially a lot of candidates that would have gotten a job if they passed the, the first uh, the first stage uh, get rejected at the very first stage. So in your CV, uh, try to uh, try to first understand what is important for this role, and what have I done in the past that is important for this role, and make sure you highlight it as much as possible, and remove it and remove everything else, remove all the noise. Then whenever you are describing your past experience uh, in, in your current job or in your previous job, try to be very specific about what was your personal contribution to a project. Because for example, if you, if you write in a CV, I work on predictive models, uh, I don't know, improving accuracy of predictive models, like it literally says nothing. Like, okay, you're data scientist, you are expected to do that. <laughs> what exactly did you do? Or even if you write uh, something like, we improved the accuracy of the random forest model by X percent. Like, what exactly did you do? Uh, mm -hmm. Did you identify the problem? Did you decide to use random forest? So try to be very specific uh, in what exactly, in what was your contribution to whatever project was. And this is this is the main advice I think. Also, if you're applying to to a company uh, to maximize your chances of, of passing through this first step of the CV screening, um, you can try to reach out to a recruiter directly. You can try to reach out to someone from the team directly and ask them about the company. Ask them about the team of the company. If you know someone, ask for a referral. It always, it always helps to uh, to pass this first step. Uh, at least someone will definitely look at your CV and probably you will secure this, this first, first call with someone from the company. I think it gives an extra signal that, okay, somebody from within the company, somebody who already passed our uh, hiring process, deferred this person. So this person must be good. So let's take yeah. a closer look at the CV and... Uh, exactly, exactly. And also, uh, this probably sounds very obvious, but it happens. 
uh, check for typos and errors. This, this is really bad signal because it just looks very unprofessional. Uh, make sure the, the formatting is, is consistent throughout the, throughout the document. Um, don't try to lie about things uh, and pretend that you, you build something that single-handedly build something that, that you haven't. Mm -hmm. This can backfire. You never know. Maybe maybe this company is interviewing your comp your your colleague, and <laughs> you don't know. And you are both trying to pretend that you you did something that none of you that none of you did. So this can really backfire. Um, okay. And sometimes I see people that uh, put the self evaluations like Python five stars expert. <laughs> so that okay. make a lot of sense. <laughs> Yeah. So basically, just to summarize, so CV is your landing page, and people spend uh, like on a landing page, they don't spend more than two seconds. So this is the time span uh, you will get when a recruiter looks at your CV. So you need to maximize the chances that uh, you will pass this stage, and you do this by highlighting what is important for the role. Uh, you remove everything else, and you need to be specific about your personal contribution, and then uh, it will maximize the chances that within these two seconds. The recruiter will take a look at your CV and then decide, okay, I want to look uh, more at this CV and eventually you will pass the screening, right? Then okay. after you pass the screening, so what happens next? So after you pass the screening, most likely there will be interviews. There might be a take-home assignment uh, that will probably take a few hours for you to, to implement. Uh, there are controversial opinions about take-home assignments mm -hmm. uh, because it takes a lot of time. If you're applying to five different jobs, then you need to, to work on five different take-home assignments and it will take the entire week. Uh, I'm not a big fan of take-home assignments for that reason because uh, it's more of a signal of like whether a person have time, have mm -hmm. free time to have free time to, to work on a take-home assignment or not, rather than their, their actual skills. But at the same time, if you're given a take-home assignment, uh, think about it in this way. What's the return of investment in spending your time on this day assignment? If you get this new job, well, you applied for this new job for a reason, right? Probably you think it's, uh, it's, it's a better team, it's a better career opportunity. Most likely there will be some pay increase. Usually it's at least some 15%. So if you spend this one day working on take-home assignment, it will pay off if you get the job. So think about it from, from this risky work perspective, because it really pays off to invest into preparing for interviews and spending your time uh, uh, emphasizing your, your strengths and demonstrating your, your skills when you're interviewing. Because if you are not willing to, if you think it's not worth time to, to work on this, then maybe this is not a, a job that you really want. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, after the take, after the take home assignment, uh, there will be interviews. Uh, most likely, there will be some from three to six rounds of interviews with different uh, with different potential colleagues, and one of them will be with the hiring manager. Um, on the technical rounds, I think you can split these two situations. Like uh, at some point, you will be asked about your past experience. At some point, it will be. Uh, some hypothetical questions, most likely about the company. Uh, if you are asked about your past experience, make sure you have, uh, not if, but it, it will happen. Uh, make sure you have a couple of stories when, uh, a couple of stories from your past experience that help you uh, demonstrate your skills. You, I think it's really important to practice uh, to know exactly what you're going to say. Because when you're answering about your, these questions about your past experience, it's not only about, I don't know, I used, I used random forest to, to predict house prices. When you, when you tell the story, you can also highlight a lot more than your machine learning skills. And again, when you're telling about your past experience, try to uh, emphasize your strengths between the lines. If you were the one who identified the problem and suggested to use a machine learning uh, model to, to solve this problem, say, if 
you suggested several modeling approaches and asked stakeholders for the feedback and then uh, identified the requirements. Say that you did it. Uh, if you found some interesting findings when you worked on this model and you decided to, to share it with your colleagues and made everyone more efficient, mention it. Uh, it's not just about the modeling. Even if, even if it may be presented as a some technical interview, even if you're asked about some model that you built in the past, by answering this question, you can highlight a lot more mm -hmm. uh, than just your modeling skills. And those are the skills that really make the difference between say middle data scientist and, and senior data scientist because this really shows your uh, how autonomous you are, how proactive you are, that you can make everyone else around you uh, more efficient and, and coach others. This is really helpful. And if you are asked about some hypothetical case, um, usually, well, it's hard to say because again, there are so many companies and so, so everyone is doing it differently. What is very common is you will get asked a question about some very vague uh, problem statement. It can be, uh, again, like predict the user churn, predict, uh, classify which users are uh, fraudsters on our, on our platform, predict how many orders or uh, subscriptions we will have next month. And it's always intentionally some very vaguely defined problem statement. And when you answer this kind of questions, I think the very first thing uh, is to demonstrate that you're trying to understand the business goals, like ask back, what, what do we do it for? Who will be using this uh, model? What are the use cases? How do we uh, define the the, the churn, if you're predicting which users will churn, what is churn? Like is, it, is it people that will not place an order within two weeks? Make it more concrete so that you understand the problem before you rush into, into the details. And then try to make sure that your narrative is very structured so that you start, you start by understanding the goals. Then, okay, like what kind of data do we need? What kind of model do we choose? Uh, we build the model, how do we evaluate this? Try to not jump from some very abstract things from like, what do we do into explaining how a certain modeling approach works and then back to um, showing the results and talking about the, the next steps with the model. Try to be very, it's okay to take some time uh, and think, think about this, uh, but this, is also, this also lets you highlight your communication skills. And at each step, uh, you want to think about, okay, what, what is the goal? We are, we are trying, we're building the model. We want to predict churn because of this and that. Um, we need to get the data. Uh, what kind of data do we need? Uh, here you can demonstrate your business and product and common sense by, by, by just thinking out loud which features will have impact on the, on the output. Then you can, you can start thinking about the modeling approach. The goal is, Okay, we, do we need explainability? Yes. Do we need to run it real time? Yes, no. What kind of data do we have? That's why I choose uh, gradient boosting trees. Uh, so that it's not, so that you always explain your choices. And then what can happen is that the interviewer will uh, sometimes interrupt you and give you some new piece of information because they want you to go deeper on some certain topics. Um, and see if you can identify some edge cases, uh, some limitations of the, of the algorithm that you choose, some limitations of the evaluation metric that you chose. But at every step, you, it's, really, it's, it's, it's a good practice to start with understanding the goals, explaining the goals, what are we trying to achieve here, and then um, go detailed enough so that it doesn't sound like common sense, but it sound, you sound like an engineer, right? So for example, when you are when uh, when you need to explain what features you would use to build a model, don't say uh, I don't know. Don't, don't say churn rate. Say something like users that didn't play or orders within a certain period. Don't say conversion rate. Say something that 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 you can quantify, something that you can implement in in SQL or in Python or in whatever. So it, it's not just common sense answer. Uh, and 
you can really take this extra step uh, and put it uh, in code and implement this. So this is this is a very common reason for rejections when um, when data scientists just start throwing a lot of different ideas. We can do this and this and that, and do not go deep enough into any of them um, because at the end you need to implement things, right? Okay, so basically you can get uh, from three to six rounds of different nature. Some of them will talk about, uh, will ask about your past experience. You need to prepare some stories for that, like how you did something, how you identify the requirements, how you help your colleagues um, and things like this. Then there are sometimes uh, what you, I think called uh, hypothetical questions. I usually call them case studies, but it's like, they ask you, hey, we want to predict, like to, to, to identify users who uh, leave our company, uh, like stop using our services, for example, like churn or things like this. They sound vague and this is on purpose. So you need to figure out uh, how to get more requirements. And then, uh, yeah, I guess uh, these two you mentioned, uh, there could be some other types of uh, rounds, like I guess, uh, SQL, maybe machine learning related, maybe uh, Python and things like this, right? Of course, again, it, it really depends on the company and on the role. For some roles, you, you will be asked uh, uh, about machine learning and data, like how, how broad is your knowledge of, of different algorithms? And then if you say that you're familiar the most with one of them, how, how deep do you know this certain algorithm? Uh, the limitations, mm -hmm. can you explain how it works? Uh, in what situations it works, it works best, uh, and so on. Uh, if you're applying for uh, more like analytical or product data science roles, then it's very likely that there will be some SQL questions. Uh, most likely, you will not be asked like simple things about these things and, uh, and joins. Uh, expect questions on, on window functions. I think it, it became a standard to see if, uh, if they decide it's terrible i have to google this every time <laughs> <laughs> why people expect you to know that <laughs> no I, I think it's okay like this is my personal perspective i think it's okay that uh, if your code doesn't work but at least you understand like what it is how it works and you, you can google it you know what to google for this is enough right because you will be able to google if it work Mm -hmm. uh, but at least you know that there is such a thing that uh, you know that there is a rank or you know that there is a leg, uh, but you don't have to remember the exact syntax. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, yeah, often happens then. For example, I forgot how to write uh, how to use Windows window functions, but for this company, this is a super important thing, and they decide to reject me. So how can I handle this rejection? So how how can I uh, yeah, what happens if I get rejected? Uh, so first of all, don't take it personally <laughs> because it's, it's not an exam, right? Uh, it doesn't say that you are bad. It doesn't say that you are not qualified. Uh, it probably says that there was someone else who is more relevant for this certain role and nothing else. And you never know who you're competing with. Uh, maybe there was someone with five years uh, more uh, of experience than uh, than, than you have, or maybe someone who have more relevant experience for, for a certain company, for a certain industry. So it's never, it's never, uh, it should never help your, it should never harm your, your self-esteem. Um, also, realistically, interviews are far from perfect. And the outcome is uh, sometimes arbitrary. So maybe they made a mistake. So this, this also happens. So you never know. Uh, if you get rejected, ask for feedback if, if, if you were not given a feedback, uh, because this will hopefully help you identify what are the things that you can improve on. Also, uh, depending on the company, maybe you can just reapply to the same company in a different team right away. Uh, usually it is, it is low. Uh, and it, it again shows that maybe you are not a good fit for, for a certain role, but you're still a good fit for, for some different role in the same company. If you are thinking about reapplying for the same role, then maybe uh, if it's a large enough company and it, it 
keeps hiring data scientists for, for a certain role. Usually after some cool off period, after a few months, you can reply to, to the same role. Um, so I think you can think of it as a, as, a, as a learning experience, try to get as much from it from, from a learning perspective. Write notes, um, write down the, the questions that you were asked, and it will help you become more confident on the, on the future interviews. The feedback will help you study and prepare for the future interviews. And uh, yeah, let's say uh, I had a couple of rejections, but I learned from that. And then on the fifth interview, uh, some other company, I finally got the offer. So what happens there? Like, uh, what do I do now? Do I jump into accepting and uh, call all my friends uh, saying, hey, I got this, uh, this job or do I need to do something there? You celebrate. So if you get an offer, well, first of all, uh learn uh, what, what you're offered. The offers can be very different depending on depending on the country and, and the company. It can be just the salary, it can be salary uh, and some equity compensation. It can also mention some, some bonus. It can also have some uh, sign-on bonus. Uh, try to learn how does it compare to, to, to other companies. There is Glassdoor, there are other websites where you can uh, try to estimate and find some baselines on how how relevant this offer is for, for this role. And then I think it's always a good idea to negotiate uh, because it doesn't harm. Like uh, they will not uh, change their mind if you try to negotiate a little bit. Uh, but your success with negotiations really depends on whether you have another offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you have two, two competing offers, then uh, it, it can happen that they will match the competing offer. If uh, it is still within some range, if it is still within the budget that uh, that, that is allowed for, for a certain model. Uh, if you are negotiating and it sounds like it's not possible to negotiate on the base salary, ask if it is possible to get a sign, a sign on bonus. Um, but if you don't have competing offers, then most likely uh, you don't have a lot of negotiation power. So maybe you will be able to get a few thousand extra, maybe not. Uh, that's why it's good to have to interview you know, two companies at the same time to, to have this leverage. Mm-hmm. Yes, having multiple offers is probably the best uh way you can negotiate other other ways like uh, um, like that that doesn't really work so another offer is probably the best option yeah, so we have quite a few questions um yeah i think maybe we can cover them so one of the questions i see in chat from natalia is uh, about age so do you know if recruiters pay attention to the age of candidates so if somebody is 40 years old um like, well, is it a, um, like a bad signal for the recruiter or not necessarily? They're not supposed to know. Just just don't put it on your CV. Don't put your picture. Don't put your age. Okay. And that's uh, that's that's all. That's all you you can do, or? But, but that's enough. <laughs> okay. no, 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 seriously, like uh, j- just don't say it. No, mm-hmm. I mean I, I mean it's it's illegal in in most of the countries, at least in Europe. So they are not supposed to reject you on this basis, right? Well, okay, first, there's well, somebody younger. Okay, I'll go with that person. No, of, of course. Uh, no, I think this is this is not a reason to, to not hire anyone. Um, but if you have your date of birth or even a picture on the CV, I would just remove them because this kind of personal information on your CV, it is noise, right? Uh, because it has nothing to do with how well you how valuable you will be uh, in the, for the for the company for the team, then just remove it. Mm-hmm. So same goes with picture. I uh, I guess so. Your marital status, your uh, home address. Uh, okay. Yeah. So if this doesn't tell you how good you are at your job, don't put it in your CV, right? Exactly. Probably you still need to keep the name because even though it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Keep the name, but that's not. 
So we have a question from Diksha. So I am a PhD scholar with zero industry experience, but I have knowledge required by industry expert. So how do I land a good data science job? So think about it as a cold start problem. Uh, when you don't have initial data and you need to, to build some model, you need to create some synthetic data, right? Uh, so you can go to Kaggle.com, that, that's one way. You can go to uh, some other places that, that offer you data. Ideally, you want to be creative and come up with some uh, problem that can be solved with uh, machine learning or whatever you uh, whatever is your specialization. So I started by, by telling this story about how I got a job by, by building this mm -hmm. and simple recommender engine. This is exactly that. Because for the hiring manager, what matters the most is whether or not you have some experience in uh, in the data science process. Like if you're building machine learning models, then it starts with identifying the problem, uh, go through building the model and evaluating the model, and then communicating the results and identifying the next steps. It's not as important whether it was your personal project or it was a commercial experience. Because what's important is the skills. Ideally, this should be some commercial experience where when you work with a team of other data scientists that you had some supervision uh, from, from your colleagues. Uh, if you don't have it, just create this experience. Uh, identify a problem, just try to be creative. There is a lot of things to, to be solved with, uh, with predictive models, with different kinds of models. Write a blog post about this. Uh, and mention it on your CV. Uh, and the best thing you can do is uh, try to build something for the company you are applying for, because this will certainly make you stand out. Okay, so what you're saying is uh, Kaggle is great, but if you check what the company is doing and like you did, uh, you thought, okay, what kind of problems they have and you come up with a problem and then you solve this problem and you wrote a blog post and showed it to, to the hiring manager and then they were amazed and hired you. Exactly. I mean, it's not 100% that you will get hired, but if you spend time building some models spe specifically to, to have something on your CV, to, to, have the, to be able to tell the story about your past experience, you will also learn by doing this, right? Don't think about this. Uh, it's such a waste of time. They will not hire me after. Uh, I, will, I will spend a weekend or I will, I will spend a week working on this uh, project and writing this blog post. And then at the end, it will not work out. Then it was a waste of time. No, you learned. You're a data scientist. You, this is what you chose to do. Uh, this is interesting. This is exciting. You, you, you learn some new things. Uh, so you will benefit in any way if you, if you do it. Yeah, thank you. So another question we have is uh, that some emails, some rejection emails look quite human. The question is, is it worth answering such questions? Like when you get a rejection, so what do you, what should you actually answer to these questions? Do, do the recruiters even look at what you write them after the rejection? Oh, just um, right, right, thank you. Like what, I mean, there is no point in arguing. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably the worst thing you can do. Uh, no, just, just say that you appreciate the feedback. This, this is the best thing you can do because, again, maybe you will apply to the same company and it will be the same recruiter. Maybe you will apply to a different company and this recruiter will change jobs and, and will meet you there. This happens very often. Uh, mm -hmm. So just, just try to not burn bridges even if uh, you think it was unfair to you. Uh, try to learn from it. And yeah, I think you can, you can only appreciate and send the step. Thank you, email to you. To the feedback, to interview feedback if, if you found it actionable and useful. Yeah, thank you. So another question we have from uh, from Hamad is uh, uh, related to negotiations. So how do I negotiate offers when my current salary is quite low? I think we kind of covered that like by having two offers. Um, but let's say I just have one offer and my current salary is low. What can I do to make sure that... Uh, I try to get the best possible offer from this company. Just try to put yourself in the shoes of the company and, and think about them. Uh, they offer you some, uh, some number. You, can, you either accept it or not. And then they, they lose you and they will need to hire someone else. 
they are not supposed to know what your current salary is. Also, I think I think in, in a lot of companies it's it's just it's, sorry in a lot of countries it's just legal to to request uh, to request this. If they ask you, you don't have to to answer. You can always just answer. I think my salary with the offer uh, I'm expecting you from you is a, is a good signal of how important data science is for the company uh, and how you value me as an employee, uh, which is true. Uh, but you don't have to to tell the exact number that you are making right now. So try to make it more about like, here's my skills. You interviewed me, you made me an offer. You found me valuable for the company, uh, but I find it low. So I'm hesitant about accepting it. Uh, what, what can we do about this? Mm -hmm. Okay. So just try to uh, negotiate uh, basically and uh, say that, uh, uh, well, I'm, when you have another offer, you can always say, uh, uh, if you don't do this, I'll go to the other company. Exactly. But uh, in negotiations, you have you always have an option of not accepting an offer. So if you don't have another offer, you just have one. You always have an option of staying at your current place or not accepting. And exactly. this is the, the best alternative. And you can just say, okay, for this number, it doesn't make sense for me to change a job, right? You can always say... Uh... Uh, if it is true, you can say, uh, I have a good performance review and there's a good chance that I will be promoted next year. So I'm not sure if it is worth for me to join with, uh, with an offer like this. Uh, maybe you, you could offer me a sign-on bonus that would offset this, uh, this bonus that I'm expecting in my current company. Um, so try to uh, explain that you're losing something, you have a better option than the offer that they offered you and they have to offer something else for you to not choose this alternative option. Yeah, thank you. So another question we have from somebody who just finished uh, their PhD and the job position they want to apply requires three or five years of experience in, in industry, which they don't have, uh, obviously, because they just graduated uh, uh, from PhD. So do you think it still makes sense to apply for this position that requires some industry experience or it's uh, not worth spending the time? Well, it sounds like it's, it's some entry-level position, like if, if it's uh, three years of experience. I think it won't harm if you apply. Uh, again, depends on your depends on your PhD. Like this definitely happens when, when people with no commercial experience uh, get hired at this, at this kind of roles. Uh, as long, as long as you do believe that you could perform well in this role, right? If your experience, when, if when working in your PhD, you've gotten the relevant experience. So if you were working on something, I don't know, very theoretical and I don't know, have never uh, implemented machine learning models, you think your programming skills are, uh, are not good enough and it, it is very clear that the role expects you to program a lot, then do not apply. But in general, the, it's very flexible. Job descriptions sometimes are just very standard. Uh, if you have one one year of experience less, it's I think you should definitely give it a try and apply. And I liked your point uh, uh, in the, the example you had about uh, like it's a cold start problem and you need some synthetic data to to bootstrap uh, your profile sort of. So just try to get some experience, uh, not necessarily from the industry. And uh, if this matches the, the, the candidate profile they're looking for, maybe the hiring manager will just go for this, even though you don't have three years of experience, but uh, because the project you did is so great, then they will uh, at least talk to you, right? Okay, so uh, another question we have is, um, I heard that these days, uh, uh, named in recognition and some other things uh, are used for screening CVs. Like it's not a human that looks at the CV, but some sort of robot. Uh, so do you need to just uh, to maximize your chances for applying a job? Do you just need maybe to copy the keywords you see on the description and paste them in your CV to maximize your chances? Or well, so whatever you do, don't like, don't don't put the keywords that uh, that you're not familiar with. Uh, what I was saying is you probably have more experience than some five keywords or you cannot put a year of experience or more than a year of experience in, in one page of paper, right? 
So try to really make it as relevant as possible and remove everything that is not relevant. Um, sorry, I forgot what was the, the question. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, like if you should uh, just copy and paste things from oh, like the automatic screening of CVs. Um, so what happens often is uh, you submit a CV in a PDF or whatever format, then it is automatically parsed and it is stored in some other database, applicant tracking system. So the parsing is used to, to just have a database with structured data. This is a very clear data problem, right? You have a thousand CVs in a very different format and PDFs and images. You want it to, to have in some structured format in a table where you have first name, you have ideally years of experience and, and, and current role. So this happens. The CVs are, are par parsed by applicant tracking systems, but I have never heard of some automatic uh, tool that projects people based on their CVs. I think mm -hmm. this, this is a myth uh, that for some reason became very popular. Even if it happens, this is very rare. So 99% some like a human being will look at your CV. Mm -hmm. Unless there is, uh, I know, 300 or 400 applicants for a position, which happens these days. No, but uh, yeah, probably what recruiters do is just uh, whoever applied first, they just go through this as a backlog. So they still don't uh, reject uh, automatically uh, yeah, based yeah. on some tracking system. That's true. For some, for some roles, there's a lot of applicants and it's not that you get rejected automatically because your, your CV was, uh, was not in the right format, but just because there was a hundred other people. And sometimes it's not humanly possible to look at all uh, the applicants. That's unfortunate. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, still people look at this and uh, they need to make the decision. So I think, uh, so do you still have time for more questions? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because um, I also wanted to ask you a few things. So first, what did you actually learn after interviewing 300 data scientists? Oh, so a lot of things. Um, first of all, uh, that I cannot walk into an interview with some certain expectations on the answers because sometimes the answers uh, I hear are correct and probably are even better and more efficient than what I expected. And this happens. And uh, the, the insight is you should never have this, uh, this bias, like this is the correct answer that I'm, that I'm expecting. If it's not true, then this is wrong, right? Uh, Maybe this not happens all the time, but th th this is a very humbling experience. Um, also, for most of the questions, like no matter how you phrase it, uh, even if it's some very vaguely uh, defined case study, usually there is some uh, four, five, six different paths of answering the question. Some certain narratives um, in addressing the problem, some certain uh, pitfalls, uh, when, for example, when choosing the model uh, for very common reasons, like one of the common reasons is one of the common uh, uh, mistakes is there is a number of uh, ideas, like for example, random forests are always better than linear regression, right? Like there, 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 there is something, something like this in the air, but this is not true, right? In some, in some cases, Parametric, simple parametric models, even if they require you to, to do, spend more time doing processing or even if they have a lot more other reasons to not perform well compared to trees in some certain cases, there are cases when a parametric model is just better because I don't know, because it can extrapolate and trees cannot. And these kind of answers I, I receive quite often uh, when you introduce some context when uh, it is very clear, I don't know, when you need to extrapolate the data, when it is very clear that the data you will be predicting on will be beyond the range of the training data set. Um, but still, there's this, uh, I don't know how to call it, like it's not hype, it's just, just some common misconception that deep learning is better than trees and trees are better than parametric models. Uh, try to understand the problem, try to really understand the, 
the, the limitations of algorithms. So, so this uh, I've seen the most. Also, what did I learn at the 300 interviews? I think one of the uh, thoughts that I had is it would be very nice to be able to reverse the, the, the timeline and to know what feedback you would get after the interview before going to the interview. How? Uh, <laughs> it, it sounds like a plot for some, for some movie, but, uh, but th this is exactly what I'm trying to solve with the with next round, right? You, you try interviewing, you get your feedback on your, like here are your strengths, here are your weaknesses, here are the materials to improve. And then on the, on the next iteration, you go to a real interview having this feedback already mm -hmm. and having applied this, uh, this feedback and having read this, this materials to help me improve. Because this, this is how modeling works, right? You, you run iterations, you, you tune a few parameters and expect it to be better. So I think interviews itself is a, is a really good learning experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is not very obvious. Uh, because I think it, it is usually perceived as, as an exam, right? As some uh, assessment. Also, another thing is uh, it is very important to ask questions uh, on, on, on the interviews as a candidate, because uh, this is a two-way street, right? Uh, you're, getting, you're choosing, you're deciding if you will like working in the company. The company decides whether you will be a valuable uh, team member. Um, for some reason, usually the time is distributed like for 45 minutes, it's, it's an exam. And then five minutes for five minutes at the end, if you're lucky, you will be able to ask a few questions. Well, if you get this five minutes or you, if you get more, use, uh, use as much of this time uh, as possible because it's in your interest to learn about the company. But by asking questions, you can also highlight your strengths. By, by asking questions about uh, the company, about uh, the workflow in the company, about the teammates, you can always highlight, you, you can always demonstrate that you care about the culture, that you care about um, the flexibility, that you are proactive. You can ask, uh, if you're working as a data scientist and you ask uh, what happens if, if a data scientist and the team suggest some product idea, uh, like what, what is the process? Like uh, how bureaucratic it is, or how how much time does it take from from an idea to um, to code in production? If if you ask these kind of questions, it 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 essentially you essentially try to to demonstrate your strengths by asking these mm -hmm. kind of questions. So, yeah. so it's also a way of uh, uh, emphasizing some of your personality traits, like proactiveness or being good at stakeholder management. Even if even even the last five minutes of the of the interview. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great tip to use questions to highlight your own strengths. That's great. So one last thing, because this is something we promised uh, promised to people who registered for this event, is to talk <laughs> like this uh, this teaser that he used, like how a horse's ass determined the design of a space shuttle, and what does it have to do with uh, your CV. Yeah, so this is a this is a very famous story. Uh, so the legend says that the the width, the, the distance between the rails uh, on the railroad is the same as the width of a two-horse carriage, and this makes sense because people used to to carry goods and themselves on uh, on carriages and. They didn't have engines; they had horses, and then they just reapplied the same, the same size with the same tools when they started using railroads. But then, several what uh, decades or a century later, uh, a space shuttle was built. Uh, but they had to carry the parts of the space shuttle from the factory to to the launch site, mm -hmm. and they couldn't do it by car. Uh, they had to do it by uh, by train, and it, the, the details of the space shuttle had to fit the, the train. So this is how the, the width of two horse carriage defined the, uh, the design of the space shuttle. Uh, 
through this limitation on, on the bit. I don't know if it's true or not, but this is a very famous story. So every time I look at a CV, I think about this story because CVs in this current format as a one or two pages of A4 paper uh, became popular in the late uh, 20th century when everyone has got a, a printer, a Microsoft Office, and this was a, an easy way to uh, to hand them on an interview to, to the interviewer and just, just print your, uh, have this review of your experience on a piece of paper, because this was the way people shared information before, like there was no internet at that time. Now, uh, it doesn't make any sense because no one prints the CV. I, I don't even remember when was the last time I saw a printed CV, but the format is still the same. And you can think about how other industries evolved in this time. Again, you can think about landing pages how web page design has changed. But at the end, a CV is, is, is a landing page. The goal of a CV is to show your experience uh, and to help recruiters, to help companies see how relevant your experience is for a certain thing. Uh, and the format of a CV hasn't changed at all during this time. Uh, and we just spoke about uh, putting your, your picture, your, your, your age, and I don't know, your home address on the CV. These things com are completely relevant. Uh, so this is, this is just an example of something very archaic that, that is still the case that, that defines how people play for jobs now. Um, as much as these two horses uh, influence the, the width of, uh, of a space shuttle. So what you're saying is we should ditch our CVs and then build landing pages to convince people to hire us? No, what I'm saying is uh, I, would, I would think of a CV, for example, like first as a landing page, something that can get your attention in the first few seconds and make you read further because there is something you see that uh, it is something valuable for you, for the company, for, for the recruiter. And then maybe at the bottom somewhere you can, you can add some details that are not as, as relevant for the job. But you can think of it as a, as a web page design. On the other side, you can think of, uh, of a CV as a, as, a, as a feature engineer. Because hiring uh, and applying for a job is classification, right? Uh, there is binary outcome. You either get an offer or don't get an offer. And the decision is based on this prediction on how well you will perform at the job. Your past experience is your role unstructured data. Your CV is. Uh, is the features. So what do we do with feature engineering? We try to find feature importances, we try to remove outliers, we try to clean up the data. Think about the same, like you have signal to noise ratio, put as much signal relevant for the job, for a certain role, remove all the noise. Uh, if you think about models, again, my background is uh, in personalization. Try to personalize the CV for every role you apply, try to maximize this relevancy score between the job description and your CV uh, and not make it in the same way it was in, in the 80s. Okay, makes sense. We still have quite a few questions, but I suggest to take these questions to Slack and answer them there. And I would like to thank you for joining us today and sharing your experience uh, of what you learned from interviewing 500 data scientists with us. And thanks everyone else for joining us today. And I wish everyone a great weekend and see you next week. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. Goodbye.